guys, Cora Linda here, and welcome to my podcast, Filmmaking Actually. Ta da! <laughs> so, I realized I've been doing this podcast for almost three years now. What? I realize I've talked a lot about the filmmaking process, which I will continue to do. Our next episode actually is an interview with an award-winning actress who talks all about being in front of the camera, so that'll be awesome. But I realized I've not really talked about who I am. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, maybe that isn't important to anyone. Uh, You can go ahead and skip this episode if you want. But um, I wanted to share a little bit more about me, just all in one place, what my experience has been with working in film. Um, what that means, how I got here. I should clarify, my work in film is my day job. I don't work in X and that pays the bills. I work in film and that pays the bills sometimes. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, that's my, my job. I'm not independently wealthy. My husband doesn't have a salary that supports both of us. And I don't have any other paycheck job, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So, you know, when I wake up in the morning, the emails that I answer and the people that I deal with all day are my staff, my clients, investors, contractors, potential collaborators, and my business partners. I guess I can dive into my daily routine or just kind of more generally go over what it takes to work as an independent filmmaker for your actual job. I guess that does kind of take me back to my daily routine, though. I will say that working in film is hard. This is not a world for the faint of heart or someone who just wants to make some fast cash. Movies look like this massive way to get rich quick and just kind of coast along, rolling in the profits of a multi-million dollar blockbuster. But unless all you're doing is just writing the check and then just getting a return on your investment, in which case you're usually someone who's working very hard in another field uh, to have that money to be able to invest, um, unless you're just like a, a trust fund baby. Anyway, unless all you're putting into the film is money, there's literally zero part of filmmaking that involves sitting back and just collecting cash. And I mean, honestly, even in today's world, So many executive producers are so heavily involved in the projects anyway for big blockbusters. They are definitely earning earning their keep, uh, as the saying goes. What I'm trying to say is that if you want to work in film, you have to be willing to work incredibly hard. You have to be willing to push past things that other people think are impossible. Honestly, filmmakers like at the producer level are kind of like the Marines <laughs> of the film world. You have to be willing and able to look at something that everybody else thinks is impossible and make it anyway. Uh, or Captain Jack Sparrow, um, I forget exactly what he said, something like, the problem is not the problem. The problem is your attitude about the problem or something like that. That's very important in filmmaking. How do you how do you approach all this? So Yeah. Filmmaking. For context, I work at Space Dream Productions. Um, I'm the president of the company, so I manage the staff and the contractors. I oversee all the projects. I'm one of the creatives as well, so I work on the projects. Uh, My job takes a lot of discipline. I easily work about 60 or more hours a week. I've met people who are like, oh, you're working too hard. And I'm like, my dreams are too hard. Like, I, this is what it takes to get there. At the company, we currently have four of us as partners. Um, My husband, Spaceship, and I own the majority of the company, and then there's two partners with minority ownership. I own the majority of the company as far as any individual goes. I actually started the company by myself back in 2013, as far as the original registration of it, Uh, but 
I'll get into that in a minute. So we have four partners. Currently, we also have our staff who all work remotely. There's my assistant. There's a production intern who's currently going to college. There's our vice president of administration who oversees HR, finance, marketing, and sales. And then we have a director of marketing and sales. Uh, Those are two different departments, and she's just amazing and heads both of them. That's our in-house team. We then have a network of contractors who we work with on a per-project basis. Day-to-day, I do a lot of the general company management on top of actual filmmaking. Why does that matter? (laughs) Uh, Because no matter if you're a freelancer or a CEO, you have to take care of this stuff. Managing client communications, emails, invoices, making sure payments clear the bank, they come through on time, planning future projects, scheduling, all of that. You, someone has to do it. The only difference between a freelancer and a CEO is that the CEO is people who do it for them. But then the CEO still needs to make sure that everything is happening and that, you know, everything is running or be a big enough CEO to have middle managers who make sure that everything is running and then the CEO makes sure that middle management is functioning. But that's a whole other topic on business structure. As a filmmaker, there's a lot that goes into getting to the point where the call sheet is in your inbox and you show up on set. Uh, you have to do a lot of work around that. For me, my days consist of waking up, checking and answering my emails. If it's Monday, uh, we have company staff meeting. We go over all of our current projects and strategies, check in with everybody because, you know, we're all remote. I try to schedule other meetings from Mondays as well just to kind of get everything set for what I'm going to be doing that week. There's little things that I do on Monday, like I have to approve payroll and boring office work. Um, I also try to meet with my assistant, kind of prioritize the week, just Mondays are really about starting. I know there's a lot of like, oh, Monday. But um, as we put when we were hiring our last uh, round of hiring that we did, if you love what you do, you will never regret a Monday. I I love working. Um, I love what I do. It makes me happy. And having something to look forward to, to be excited about, it's a different feeling than waking up and it's like, oh, I got to go back to the office. Monday is the sit down, get your head on straight, focus, get going. Then one day a week, we have a marketing meeting. We go over sales and client projects that we're currently lining up or we're in talks with. We also go over marketing strategies for our social media channels, content direction. Um, As the head of the company, I put together the strategies and then run it by the team who makes suggestions or gives feedback. Um, Like if we're running a sales campaign, our sales director will say, you know, oh, this is what's working, what's not working. Just, you know, business stuff, just general office running things. If you don't have a full company, then you need to do that for yourself. You know, hey, I had a great week. What what, what was I doing before this that helped kind of build that? Or, wow, this week sucked. <laughs> what maybe did I not do that I should have been doing and, and focus on that? On another day, we have a grant meeting. Um, we've done a lot with grants over the last year or so. They're a ton of work. <laughs> um, so we have a grant meeting once a week. We go over grants that we're looking at, um, what's needed for the applications, if we're going to pick up a grant or not, if we think it's a good fit for us, uh, if we need to coordinate anything between the different people working on the different grants, because there's business grants for like women in business or small businesses or stuff like that. And then there's also film grants for specific projects. So we allocate those differently, depending on who's going to be putting those together. Yeah, grant application should be a whole other episode just by itself, just because the the research of what's needed for the grant and the work of putting it together. We've done several applications and they just take hours and hours and hours of prep work and organizing. I mean, again, money never just falls in your lap. It takes so much work. And the bigger the grant, 
usually the more you got to work for it. I mean, I don't know, you can buy a lotto ticket, and maybe if you win, but even then there's taxes, you got to, the work comes after you win the lottery in that case. (laughs) So anyway, yeah, I oversee all of that. And then we have our client projects. Uh, We have a whole services section where we provide client services for small businesses, content generation, sometimes we'll work in post production for other projects, we do editing, we'll design movie posters, we do music videos, we'll make commercials or ads. We don't usually work with the scheduling of your social media, but we'll give you the content for it, whether it's a photo shoot or a video shoot or whatever. We'll do consulting work while we've helped with crowdfunding. Pretty much if it has anything to do with content, we can create it. Um, And if it has anything to do with filmmaking, we can be a part of it. So uh, yeah, that's all stuff we provide client services for. And I will say the vast majority of filmmakers I know where filmmaking is their day job they either balance client projects with their passion projects and that's how they stay afloat or they only do client projects and that's it. They are a work for hire person. Um, They get hired. Their job is being hired out to other companies to do whatever it is that they do. I mean, we've worked really hard to at least be able to work with clients we want to work with and not just who we need to be working with. But um, at the start, it's kind of important to have the attitude of we'll work for money. Um, I mean, as long as the work is legal and consensual and nobody's getting hurt. But yeah, that's a whole other topic that I've covered in earlier episodes. So I might have client meetings during the week. Um, Maybe I need to go over a script that we're working with with a writer. Maybe I need to go over the script with a client. If we're auditioning for a project that I'm directing, maybe I have to watch the tapes and give notes. Uh, If I'm the writer for a project, I have to sit down and write. Or if we're editing, I have to edit. Um, Yeah. All right. So why am I saying all that stuff? Because someone has to do it. And until you can afford to hire all the people or have a complete company taking care of everything, if you're the one moving things forward, then the person doing that stuff is you. Or you need to be aware that the stuff is happening so that you can know who you need on your team to kind of help you get where you're trying to go. I've have an episode coming up specifically for writers. We actually have a a panel coming on our Patreon uh, for writers as well, um, June 27th. But uh, the number one thing with writers is they just want to sell their scripts, which is great. But then there's writers who want to be involved in having the script made and they're like, well, someone should just like make it for me. That's, it doesn't, making a film is so much work. There has to be kind of like a, a, a more of a collaboration than just a, you do it. That, that never gets anywhere. And maybe you're listening to this and you're like, oh my, forget that. That is way too much work. Honestly, now is the time to realize that, not halfway through a major film project when you're buried and you don't know what to do. Or worse, where you're on set and you didn't realize how much work it was going to be. And now things are falling behind, falling apart because things weren't put in place at the start when they should have been. I've said it a million times, preparing for things and organizing for them makes even the most crazy tasks so much easier to face. Everyone works differently. You know, people have different learning styles. They have different mental capacities as far as the way they assimilate information. I know for me, I've got to have a to-do list. I have to have it all written out, everything. There it is. I'm going to get it done. That does not work for my husband. (laughs) Um, He has a different way that he goes about needing the tasks laid out. And it's totally fine. What matters at the end of the day is that the tasks are getting done, not that your bullet journal matches the Pinterest board that you saw. Bullet journaling is great for some people. I personally, it does not work for me. For me, what I do to stay organized and stay on top of what everything is that I have to do, we use uh, 
for the company, we use um, a task management system. There's a lot of them. There's Monday.com. These are, none of these are affiliates. I'm just saying. Uh, Monday.com, Asana, um, uh, Trello. Um, you can use all of those to kind of program out your life. Um, I also like a very basic system of just writing one task of everything needed on like a post-it note or a, a index card or something like that. Every single thing that you have to do, whether you want to do it one day or you're doing it tomorrow, or if you don't do it today, your electricity is going to get shut off. Write them all down on one thing per card and then sort them. This is everything I have to do right now. This is everything that I have to do next or it's going to be a problem. Everything that I'd like to get to and everything one day before you die bucket list type stuff. Take the stuff that you have to do, oh my gosh, right now, and just spread it out. Just make a card for Monday, Tuesday, like every day of the week that, or whatever days that you want to focus these tasks on and go, okay, I'm going to do this on Tuesday, this on Monday, this on Friday. I will say for me, I try to load up Monday and Tuesday because then if I don't get stuff done, it's not a problem and I can do it Tuesday or Wednesday and it's not like Tuesday and Wednesday are full too. I always try to schedule breaks so that if something flows over, there's space for that overflow especially in film, because film can be very volatile. It can be very, um, there's lots of surprises. <laughs> so if you uh, over-prepare, then you're good. So yeah, then you just have a little pile for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever, and you just make a to-do list off of the piles and you work through them. Um, that's for me. That's what works for me. How did I get to this place where I work as a filmmaker all day long? And how do I not die looking at these crazy to-do lists? <laughs> well, I was born in 1892. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, but Newsies is my favorite movie and high five if you got that reference. Anyway, um, I was actually born and raised in New York. Um, anyone who grew up in New York knows you're never doing one thing. Uh, New York is a very, very high paced city um, and state even. You go to summer camp starting as soon as you're old enough to remember. And at camp, there's always a million things going on. You go to church or Hebrew school or both, depending on your family. By the time I was in high school, I was taking a dance class instead of PE. After school, I was in the dance club and the literary magazine. And I was a photographer for the school paper and part of the youth squad at the local ambulance corps. I worked at my local Hebrew school. I was part of the National Federation of Temple Youth. I was taking confirmation classes. I think I was still in the junior choir at the temple also. And I was taking some extra classes on the weekends and going to school. And I know that sounds insane, but I was home by about six o'clock each night. I did my homework. Uh, <laughs> I was supposed to do my homework and I would still read books. Uh, I lived in a house with no TV on a school night unless it was Star Trek. Later, my mom let me watch Dawson's Creek. Anyway, um, my point being having a million things going on was totally normal for me and all my friends. That's just what life was like growing up. That is not workable for everyone. Honestly, uh, finding your lane is probably one of the most important things you can do. See where you flourish and do well. Maybe doing 7 million things at once is not workable. Okay, don't do 7 million things at once. I mean, you always should do the one thing that you're working on at a time, but having lots of pots boiling might not be something that is comfortable for you. And if you pick an area of work that's outside your comfort zone, just know that you're going to have to work harder. But if it's what makes you happy, you know, you should totally do it. Like for me, I have a background as a production designer. That's fun and I love it, but it isn't all I want to do. However, 
Honestly, I can pretty much do it in my sleep. <laughs> I don't know why. It's just something about how my mind puts things together. I can look at a flower and design an entire room in like five minutes and put it all together and it's magic and I love it. it takes very little effort from me, you know, and I could do that if I wanted to, but it's not what I want to do full time. Um, there's so many more things that I want to get involved with. I'm going to get a little personal for about a minute because I think this is important to share. I don't work 60 hour weeks every week. Sometimes I work 90 hour weeks. <laughs> um, sometimes I work 30 hour weeks and I don't go to an office at all. Everything we do is remote unless like, you know, we're on set or filming on location, but uh, we all, everyone who works at Space Dream works remotely. So in 2011, I actually spent most of the year as a wheelchair user. Um, it's a long story, but the short version is I spent much of the last 10 years first learning how to walk again and then learning how to live again. My life isn't perfect and I still have some residual effects that can knock me down a few pegs. So I have to be really careful and very responsible about how I manage my time and my schedule and my plans and all of that. It might seem like I'm going a million miles an hour, but the truth is I'm I'm not. And the only way I can do what I do is because I plan my life very carefully and I don't do things that I know could cause like a major physical setback or just be a major risk for a physical setback. For as much as the word adulting is tossed around like a bad word and parenting yourself is used to like make you feel like you're an incompetent child needing to be like managed. I mean, yeah, deep down we're all a little crazy and that inner child should never go away. But it goes back to the discipline thing and the fact that you're not actually a totally useless lump with no purpose in life who just needs more wine. Again, hard dreams take hard work. Not to be all like motivational speaker on you, but if you look at the people who are whining and complaining or coming home and watching eight hours of TV every day, I mean, don't get me wrong, I can binge as hard as the rest of them. But if you're watching like 40 hours of TV a week, that's basically an entire full-time job. Just ask yourself what you could be doing with that time. Sometimes you need that escape, you know, you need to get away from whatever and just veg out for a minute. But if your life is something you have to get away from, maybe you should spend some of that time focusing on that. And that is a very long conversation to be had with somebody who's not me. And the context is so layered and so many meanings. I'm not even going to try to get into it on a podcast. All I'm trying to say is, if you have dreams, if you want to work in film, I'm very specifically talking about film here, you can't get upset that you're not reaching your dreams if you're not actively chasing them. And I've never seen anyone actively chase their dreams and not make some sort of progress. Like I've literally never seen anybody who got nowhere doing everything they could to try to get somewhere. Maybe they didn't like, you know, win an Oscar in five minutes, but there usually is a difference between where they started and where they are now. And you might be like, but I work so hard already. And that's might be a thing too. One of my mentors really pushes the don't work harder, work better mindset. And I have to say that I am for that. <laughs> Me as a kid, crazy busy doing all the things fast forward a little bit. And um, I got the opportunity to go to LA with a job offer. And I took it and my parents uh, amazingly let me go. I should probably share, uh, I've never been to film school. Um, I've also never been to college. And I technically just tested out of high school. I didn't actually finish it. So 
Yeah. Why, why am I? <laughs> What's with the, the confessionals happening over here? When I met the, the great Taika Waititi at Sundance a few years ago, um, he was having this awesome conversation with me and I apologized to him and I said, you know, I, I don't think that it's right that he's talking to me because I've, I've said this in a couple of other interviews and possibly in this podcast, but um, I, I didn't feel right that he was taking this time and speaking to me so professionally and respectfully when I never even graduated film school. Like, okay, yeah, fine. I'm standing in the middle of Sundance, but that doesn't mean anything. I'm nobody. What? You know, that was like kind of what was in my head. Thankfully, I didn't blurt all that out to him. All I said was, I- I've never even been to film school. And he leaned in, this is before COVID, um, and he leaned in and he goes, neither have I. I mean, this is after Thor Ragnarok. And it was the most empowering thing he possibly could have said. He just, he didn't care. It wasn't about the piece of paper that I could hang on my wall. It was about the conversation and about what I knew about film and about my experiences as a filmmaker. And that not to say that you don't need education, because you, you very much do, but there's something to be said for the balance between them and for not hating yourself because you didn't get a, a piece of paper. I mean, I started working well before I was 18. Um, I started in administration positions, answering phones, doing paperwork, you know, whatever. And then I grew and eventually I was managing departments. I started taking general classes in communication and human behavior and administration and learning just everything I could on top of getting like in-office experience. At one point I worked in sales. Everyone should work in sales at least once. There, There's something about working in sales that I think everybody should experience, even just for like a couple weeks, just it changes you. I, I don't mean like it makes you a nasty salesperson. It just, there's something about that experience that I think can be very humanizing. Anyway, uh, I even waitressed at one point uh, one summer, I stumbled onto an event production when a friend asked if I wanted to go with them one day. Some of you may have heard this story. I'll try to make it quick. Um, I ended up painting some extra pieces. The art director saw, loved it, wanted me to come back the next day. I ended up staying all summer. Um, that art director became a dear friend and mentor. I worked with them first as an assistant and then as an apprentice and then basically directly with them for the next 10 summers. Uh, meanwhile, I started working more in the world of events during the year. Um, I got into set construction. I became a certified set rigger. I started learning basic lighting design and like electric planning. Like you don't just put lights. <laughs> the lights have to get plugged into something and you can't just plug them into anything. There's like science behind it. <laughs> um, and electricity is a thing that needs to be handled properly. Um, so yeah, so um, I started learning cable runs and layouts for lighting design. I worked as a stagehand and then as a stage manager at one point. I started learning camera beyond just like taking a photo, but actually learning about how cameras work. And um, I learned some more video skills. I had the opportunity to day play in locations for everything from indie projects to uh, major network television shows. I just kept learning and growing and doing things until I became an event producer myself and I was planning and budgeting and managing and designing events. All of those things kind of happened in a wave over many, many years. Um, and I decided that I loved the film side of life and I started working towards that. I had friends who worked in hair and makeup and I learned some basics from them. I learned wardrobe and more specialized lighting for camera. I started editing. Um, I did some documentary shoots. I traveled around filming. I was still working on stage construction as a uh, set rigger occasionally. So what I'm trying to say is that by the time I was talking to Taiko Waititi and saying, I've never been to film school, I'd already done all of those things instead. 
I don't know, I feel like I'm, this is a very motivational, <laughs> motivational speechy episode, but there's something to be said for experience. And maybe I feel that way because for me, I know that my personal path has been very much experience driven. Um, I just, I want people to be empowered to tell stories and to, to do it in the way that is best for them. So all of that was going on. And in 2011, unfortunately, uh, it all kind of fell apart. I know the internet and just general publicity kind of expects every single detail to be completely transparent, but um, I would like to quote one of my favorite non-Maggie Smith lines from Downton Abbey, spoken by the great Anna. She wants to keep it private, not secret. There's a difference. So that's all I'm going to say about that. By 2011, I was able to walk again, and that was a bit of a medical miracle. My doctors were very surprised, but I was having to start all over in a lot of ways. Um, I'd been out for about a year. I had to kind of build new networking, pick up old connections, find new ones, figure out what I could do. I day played in art department a lot because as I said, I could do that in my sleep. I also actually worked as an actress during this time. It's amazing how many auditions you get when you don't care. <laughs> I would just submit to anything I thought I could be a good fit for. I didn't, you know, I wasn't gunning for like award-winning roles. It was just, if it paid good and I thought I could do it, I'd submit. And I got a lot of work that way. Unfortunately, it wasn't my dream. And um, I ended up in a little bit of a dark place, which I don't need to get super into here. But I will say that I'm currently going on eight years and seven months sober, which is a constant focus for me. In 2013, I officially met Spaceship. Um, I had just started Space Dream Productions. Yes, he partially inspired the name. No, it is not named after him directly. It's actually named from the Sean Lennon song that inspired his name, Spaceship. By 2014, we were officially dating. Uh, I was working on producing my first film, Names on the Wall. It was going to be my first time as an official filmmaker, owning it, running it, doing it. That was a whole adventure. Um, we do have several other episodes where I talk about that. So if you wanted to check them out, they're already up on Anchor um, and whatever podcast platform that you're listening to. Uh, there is also a bunch of Q&A panels with the cast and crew if you want to check those out. Uh, also in 2014, I went to my very first Sundance and I was a volunteer at the New Frontier. So I got to learn all about like the Oculus right from the team at Oculus, which was mind blowing, especially in 2014 when nobody knew what Oculus was really. Um, I took every chance I could to go to every screening panel event that I could. Sundance parties are great, but um, the networking can be hit or miss at the actual parties. Panels, screenings, Q&As, you will learn something. I guarantee it. If you didn't, I would be very surprised. <laughs> Sundance kind of became my film school. Um, I've been there every year from 2014 through 2020 uh, in person and then 2021 and 2022 virtually. There's a bunch of episodes I have about going to Sundance and you should check those out if you've ever wanted to go. You should definitely consider applying as a volunteer. This is not a sponsorship with Sundance. I'm just saying this. It is not as expensive or difficult as you think it is to go to Sundance. And I know a lot of people, they want to go when they have a film in or whatever. Having a film in the festival is a completely different experience. Um, from what I know, I have never had a film at Sundance. But it, there's something magical about just being there. And I think anyone who can have the opportunity to go should. And there's ways to go without being a multimillionaire. So yeah, that's Sundance. Uh, anyway, 2014, just sort of finding myself again. Um, I had just started, you know, Space Dream, but it was kind of just like a DBA for stuff I was doing. Um, I took an office job for a little bit to see if that was a better route for me. 
Spoiler alert, it was not. (laughs) I worked as a florist for a little bit doing floral design and assembly in a little flower shop that I actually loved. Um, That was that was fun. Uh, And uh, then I got a job as an executive assistant to a CEO. I'm talking like a hardcore one percenter. Um, And this man worked so hard, I could not keep up. There's definitely some people at the top who are there because they got there. It was awesome to just see how he ran his company, how much work it was to run his company. He also had the mindset that it's up to him to provide employment for his staff. So it's extra important that he never irrevocably fails because everyone's counting on him for their jobs. That was just one of the most responsible things I'd ever heard. And let me tell you, that was also some of the best pay I'd ever gotten in my life. (laughs) And I was on a starting salary and it was nice. Um, He really took care of his staff and he he wasn't just someone who drew a multi-million dollar paycheck while everybody else worked for beans. He really, if you were there and you were working and you were part of his team, he took care of you as well. Not through some like mafioso thing, but because he properly managed the company so that it was able to flourish. So um, yeah, that was an established company. When you work at a startup, it's a little different sometimes, but you can get there. Uh, Anyway, that's when Spaceship proposed. Well, he told me we were getting married. It's a whole other story. Um, I moved to be with him. We eloped. Another other story. Uh, We went and filmed Names on the Wall and Space Dream took off like a rocket. (laughs) Sorry, I had to. Um, Names on the Wall was released in 2016 when we had our grand premiere at our very first ever festival as filmmakers. We got our first nominations. We won our first awards. We won Best Short Film Drama. And we won an award for excellence in filmmaking in a major genre, which blew my mind. And that was it. That was how we kind of got to where we were on the path to go somewhere. Um, And I shared that whole long story because sometimes it takes you that long just to get to the beginning. Fast forward five and a half years and we've completed over 30 projects. We have four completely filmed projects in post-production, three projects mid-production, eight projects in development or pre-production, and 10 projects on deck. So all in, including like commercial projects and a few films where like we were just the editors, there's a couple of those all in, including a a couple of commercial projects and like a few films where we were just the editor. We have almost 80 projects that have moved or are moving through Space Dream Productions since we launched our first film in 2016. Yeah, (laughs) we just passed our 100th award nomination a few weeks ago. Uh, We've now won almost 40 awards, just over 40 if you count finalist or shortlist. So we're batting about 40% of award wins uh, versus nominations, which we're pretty proud of. I once, this is going to sound like a digression, but it's relevant, I promise. Um, I once watched this show on Netflix called Dance Academy. I hope some of you have seen that. I literally love that show. It's amazing. Anyway, there's this scene where this young dancer is being ripped apart by an older dancer who's saying that the younger dancer doesn't have the life experience needed to portray the emotional range for this role, blah, 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 blah. I used to make me mad. Um, you know, there's a singer, Pepina, who did this song uh, and the chorus is, you may have experience, but I have an open heart. And I loved that. And I still love that. But there's something to be said about gaining experience through time. And in truth, I think you need both. Um, I mean, as much as I'm technically still very young, I have almost 20 years now working in and around film. And I know that I have to keep the optimism and be sure I pay attention to my attitude about the problem when faced with a problem. And I can shove off if I need to. Sometimes you have to step back and get your own head on straight. 
Sometimes you need to work through something and knowing how to balance so that you can keep growing and also take care of yourself is a massive trick, Uh, but it can be done. To be a successful filmmaker, you have to be able to balance your life. You need a certain level of maturity and discipline. Um, I am not there yet, but I am growing. (laughs) You also need to know exactly how many times you can say, I'll do that later before there is no more later or worse, it is now just too late. Um, you need to be able to set and work towards goals. Um, and to be clear, that doesn't mean never taking time off. Sometimes I work a 60 hour week because I worked 12 or 15 hours in one day. That isn't every day. And I still take time to breathe and enjoy life. You can read all the books, you can get all the diplomas, but you eventually need to get out there and do it. And when you get out there and do it, you still need to read books. You still need to take classes. There's something to be said for the balance between, um, the, information as information and experience as like practical actually doing it um and you know I work full-time in film now because when I started I didn't work full-time in film I learned and I grew and I grew and I learned until I knew enough to be able to know enough to be able to start (laughs) while I kept learning And then, you know, I started this podcast because I realized so many things that I just took for granted or that I thought everybody was experiencing, they aren't experienced by everyone. And that's why, you know, I have guests on the show to kind of share the experience. Hopefully my very long rambling here has helped to share a little more about who I am and what makes me that way, why I have the confidence to tell an investor that I don't think we're a good fit for them and walk away or walk away from a project or collaboration or let a collaborator or client walk away um, or walk into a collaboration or pick up a film project or client job knowing that I can do it because, you know, knowing who to cast or who to hire or who to be hired by. Sometimes I'm wrong about that, but thankfully it's a very infrequent mistake. Be careful who you work with and um, watch out for people who tell you not to work with your friends. Uh, In my humble uh, opinion and experience, if you can't work with a friend, The problem's usually in the friendship, not in the work. I work with some of my best friends, uh, including my husband. It it can be hard, but when the friendship is strong and when the relationship between you is strong already, you can get through anything together. That's the whole point. So if you're not able to have those conversations, that's not the work that's causing those problems. That's something wrong with that connection. So uh, yeah, little piece of side advice there. Space Dream Productions is... Uh, an absolute adventure. We're still growing. I'm so excited about how far we've come and what we can do. We want to keep telling stories and bring films to life that hopefully we can be a part of helping get them made. For what it's worth, I do offer free consultations on our website under the services page. Uh, We also have our Patreon where there are additional services like live workshops and stuff like that. I mean, the access to that is $1.99 a month. We're trying to, you know, be fair um, and be as accessible as possible. These podcasts will always be free. We're also going to be sharing some tidbits on TikTok if you're into that. I realize that the biggest problem for indie filmmakers is not money. I've seen some wow films that were made for way too much cash. So cash clearly isn't the problem. I mean, it helps things get made and it you know, we'll get a film done, if not done well. The problem is the knowledge and the resources to make the film. And I don't mean money resources, because you can hand someone a million dollars, and if they don't know what to do with it, you're not going to get a good film. Then you can hand someone else a million dollars and get three amazing films, which is a pretty low budget, but yeah. Anyway, hopefully knowing more about me helps a bit too. If I can help at all, uh, drop a line. Yeah, 
that's it. That's uh, that's that. Happy filmmaking. Okay. Bye. You've been listening to Filmmaking Actually with Coralinda, Space Dream Productions podcast. Subscribe to us on any or all the podcast platforms, but we especially recommend our sponsor, Anchor. If you like what you hear, leave us five-star ratings and positive reviews on iTunes and Stitcher. It helps more listeners like you discover the show. But the best thing you can do if you really like the show is tell a friend. Want to leave a comment or ask a question? Email at filmmakingactually at gmail.com. This is Spacey speaking. And remember, success isn't always about greatness. It's about consistency. And that's why you've never heard of crunchy mayonnaise. And we'll see you next time.